One day, we'll see God face to face. Here's Pastor Xavier Reese with this account of the coming kingdom. The temple of the millennium is found in Ezekiel. By the way, there is no mention of the ark, tablets of stone or cherubim above the mercy seat anywhere because the glory of God is present. None of that is needed anymore. God is reigning. God is ruling. God is physically there through the person of Christ, that eternal fellowship. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Our government promises us many rights and freedoms, including freedom of religion. But only under God's rule will we experience true, undefiled worship. Today, as Pastor Xavier continues his study from the book of Revelation, he takes us on a tour of the kingdom of God, where we can experience genuine worship. Let's join him for today's message, The Worship in the Millennium. On July 4th, 1776, in the Declaration of Independence, the delegates of the Continental Congress uh, formally declared our national independence from Great Britain as they penned the following. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. The 4th of July is the celebration of America's independence from the tyrannical rule of the King of England over their freedom of religion, not from religion as our Supreme Court justices have erroneously interpreted, contradicting the spirit as well as the document itself. What a day that must have been for every man, woman, and child when they were totally free from this tyrannical and oppressive rule that kept them from worshiping God in their freedom. Such will be the day in a hundred times more when Satan, the God of this world, is bound for a thousand years. Jesus will reign supremely upon the earth and every person will celebrate the worship of Jesus alone on the earth. There'll be no one else. Now, by way of review, we have seen many things regarding the uh, kingdom age. The covenant will be established by the Messiah. Israel will be part of it. The kingdom is spiritual remembering character. Yet, physical and fulfillment in many of its functions, yet it's eternal in nature also. And the proclamation can be found both in the old as well as the new. The kingdom of God is present now, remember, in the form of the church age, and yet it's still future, yet to come. So the kingdom is present, but is yet to come in its ultimate and complete fulfillment. The church is not the kingdom, 
but part of the kingdom. The church will not establish the kingdom, but the church will come back with Jesus to set up the kingdom. And that government of the kingdom will be headed by Jesus himself, possibly through the regency of David and by the delegation of sub-rulers, as we've seen, and appointed administrators in the city of Jerusalem in the land of Israel. Now, having seen many of these things regarding the millennial kingdom, we want to look at the worship that will exist during the kingdom age by looking at three things. First of all, the temple of the millennium, the sacrifices of the millennium, and the covenant of the millennium. As we go through the temple of the millennium first, there's a lot of detail. And what he has revealed, he thinks is of the utmost importance for you to understand it as a child of God. The temple of the millennium is found in Ezekiel chapter 40 all the way to chapter 46, 24, the details. Now, as we speak some of these things, you're going to be able to remember the old tabernacle, the Solomon's temple. You'll be able to make some identification, and you'll be familiar with some of these things. But there will be similarities, and there will be differences also. So we want to mark those. The entire area is enclosed um, by a wall, and the outer court is where people gather. And you get that from verse 6 to 27 of that chapter. So again, the temple was for the people to worship, and so we see this similar characteristic. There are three gates to enter by, one of them being the east gate, and if you've uh, been to Israel with us, you know from the Mount of Olives you look forward and you see the east gate now, which is closed up, okay? During the millennium, we'll get to that, it will be open. Um, the Shekinah glory enters the temple through the east gate, by the way, Ezekiel tells us in chapter 43, verse 1 through 6. Remember, the Shekinah glory departed from the temple of Solomon when they went into the Babylonian captivity. In the millennium, we see it returning. Um, the gates are on the north-south, and they have seven steps. Uh, verse 20 through 27 tells us that uh, the gates have seven uh, small chambers, uh, three on each side, we are told, and around the outer court there are 30 chambers, five on each side of the gates located around the north, eastern, and the southern wall. And again, you notice that God is always a God of order, a God of decency. He, he gives certain prescriptions, certain descriptions, certain things for the function. We may not always know exactly why or why did God do it this way. If you were with us in our study of Leviticus, you know that the book of Leviticus is so rich. I love the stuff that he gave to us through Leviticus. And people say, oh, Leviticus, why did God put that book in there? It's the basis of the new covenant. In verse 17 and 18, in front of these chambers, there are pavements extending on three sides of the area. So it's quite a large area, and as we look at some of these dimensions, uh, it is overwhelming. There is an inner court in verse 28 to 47 where the priest ministers at the altar. And now we're familiar with the old covenant. You know, there was that priesthood. They were mediators, and, and they did much of that work. Um, in verse 47, the measure is 100 cubits, each side four square. A uh, cubit is 18 inches. A hundred is 150 feet. 150 feet by 150 feet by 150 feet by 150 feet. Pretty big altar. Verse 28 through 37, there are uh, three gates, again, each directly opposite the gates of the outer wall and um, 100 cubits within the outer wall through which access is gained into the inner court on um, the south, uh, the east, and the north. 
So again, even as in the old temple, you had access to different areas because of the multitude of people and the order of the way would come in and go out. Um, the inner court area is elevated by eight steps uh, to be higher than the outer court, verse 37 tells us. And then in verse 40 to 43, next to the north gate, in this area, there are eight tables for preparing the sacrifices. As you know, people would bring sacrifice in the Old Testament, and they would have to pre be prepared by the priests. In verse 44 to 46, outside the inner court gate, there are chambers for the singers, the priests, the sons of Zadok, uh, who minister at the altar. And you know how the Old Testament, uh, the priests not only ministered, but there was the singing, the worshiping. Much of the Psalms are written for that. You remember that uh, King Jehoshaphat led the armies and the priests by the priests, and they were singing to the Lord to defeat the enemy. So we see this aspect of it. We see it in the book of Nehemiah when they built the wall and how they praised God in song. Verse 47, the inner court area houses, uh, the uh, altar to offer sacrifices in, in front of the temple. Uh, and we're going to discuss uh, why is the sacrifices for? Because if Christ has died, why are they there? And we'll get to that as we move along. Uh, when you get to chapter 40, Verse 48, all the way to chapter 42, verse 20, the temple itself is described to us. And I'll just give you some of these things. In chapter 40, verse uh, 48, down to 49, the porch or vestibule of the temple has two pillars and steps. And if you remember Solomon's temple, we, we see a lot of those things. Uh, it was much larger than the tabernacle. Um, here we have a similarity to that. Verse uh, 2 of chapter 41, this leads to the holy place, an area 40 cubits by 20 cubits. Again, the cubit's 18 inches, so 40 is 60 feet, 20 is 30 feet. Verse 3 through 4 of chapter 41, beyond this, the most holy place, uh, 20 cubits by 20 cubits, a perfect square, just like the Old Testament, okay? Both the tabernacle and the Temple of Solomon. Verse 5 through 11, surrounding the wall of the house were chambers um, three stories high, 30 to a story. Verse 12 through 14 of chapter 41, the temple is surrounded by the area of 20 cubits by 100 cubits, called uh, the separate place, which uh, surrounds the temple on all sides except for the east side where the uh, porch is located. And again, all these details because God wants us to know exactly what he's going to be doing. Get familiar with the book. When you get to heaven, you know, make sure that Habakkuk doesn't come up to you and say, hey, listen, did you read my book? And you say, well, well who published it? You know, make sure you know the, the, the guys who wrote the books. Make sure you've gone through their book. You become educated and you know what the Bible says. So you can give an answer to every man for the reason, the hope that lies in you with meekness and fear. Very, very important. Chapter 41, 15 through 26, the interior of the temple uh, is described Panel wood, palm trees, cherubims in verse 16 through 18. The only article of furniture described is a table or altar of wood in verse 22 of 41. That is before the Lord, corresponding to the showbread, uh, symbolizing communion before God. God is reigning. God is ruling. God is physically there through the person of Christ, that eternal fellowship. By the way, there is no mention of the ark. A mercy seat. Veil, tablets of stone or cherubim above the mercy seat anywhere because the glory of God is present. None of that is needed anymore. In verse 23 to 26, there are two doors into the sanctuary. 
and the chambers of the priests and the measurements of the temple are given in chapter 42. All these details, real specific. There are some miscellaneous things in terms of details that are mentioned in uh, chapter 43, 1 through 5. The glory of the Lord appears coming through the east gate in a vision like the one at the river Chebar. And Ezekiel falls on his face as the voice speaks. And this is the response to the book of Ezekiel. As Ezekiel's being ministered unto, if you've read it, God keeps telling him, get up off your face. Ezekiel keeps falling on his face, falling on his face. Now I hear a lot of these televangelists saying that they talked to Jesus. Jesus appeared to them. They talked to him face to face while they were shaving. My response is, Jesus appeared to you, and you're talking to them, and you continue to shave? Everybody in the Bible tells them they fall on their face. Interesting. The description of the throne, the seat of God's authority is revealed in verse 6 through 12 of chapter 43. The altar is given in verse 13 through 18. The offerings to be made are described in 43, 19 through 27. Again in chapter 44, verse 1 through 6, the east gate is to be shut till the prince enters and by it, and the glory of God fills the house. As you know, you've been to Israel, or you've seen pictures, you see that east gate is shut. But it will be open during that day. Now, some believe the prince is Jesus, but most likely it is David, because it says, listen, he will sit in it and eat bread before the Lord. Jesus is going to eat bread before the Lord? He is the Lord. So as we've seen, most likely it's a fulfillment through David, literally. The priest's ministry is outlined in chapter 44, verse 9 through 31. The entire worship ritual is described in chapter 45, 13, all the way to 46, 18. In the temple area, there is a separate building on the west side where the sacrifices are prepared, an area of four corners where the preparation of the sacrifice for the people are performed there in chapter 46, verse 19 through 24. So there will be sacrifice, and we're going to see the purpose behind that. In fact, in 47, 1 through 12, the vision of Ezekiel climaxes with the description of the river that flows out of the sanctuary, flowing to the Mediterranean Sea and healing the Dead Sea and trees along the banks bearing fruit every month for food and the leaves for medicine. Now, the eternal state which comes after the thousand years, the river proceeds from the throne of God and the Lamb, and we'll see that in the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruits every month, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. We'll see that in Revelation 22, 1 and 2. But that's the eternal state. Right now we're in the millennium in chapter 20 there. Remember in Genesis 2, 9 that the tree of life was in the midst of Eden. And Jesus promised in Revelation 2, 7 that in the eternal state there is no more curse, no more death. It must represent some ongoing benefit regarding eternity 
for the overcomer then as he promises. Because during the millennial, people still die. Not us, we're glorified, but those who have occupied the kingdom. In the eternal state, there is no more death. So you must make those distinctions, okay? When you get to 47.1, the river comes from the temple. Zechariah's river in Zechariah 14, 4 through 8, comes from Jerusalem to heal the Dead Sea that flows through the Mediterranean, confirming Ezekiel. Again, Genesis, it came out of Eden, and it went into four heads. So you have this similarity, and it's interesting that water is used much through the scriptures as a parallel and, and as a type often of, of God's spirit and God's life, eternal life, and the cleansing, uh, the importance of cities being built around water, because if you don't have water, you die. Interesting that water is the only element that mixes with everything on earth except oil. And it cleanses you, and it quenches your thirst. God gave it to us as a life source. Now, the purpose regarding the temple is given to us. Many people say, well, why, why all the detail and why all this? Who cares? God cares. So you and I should care. And there are very specific purposes for the temple during the thousand-year reign. And Ezekiel gives them to us, okay? Let me give them to you. First of all, Ezekiel 40, verse 4, he says that it's to transmit the vision to Israel. That's why he gave it. Listen very closely. And the man said to me, son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and fix your mind on everything I show you, for you were brought here so that I might show them to you, declare to the house of Israel everything you see. Not one letter is in the Bible by mistake. Not one word is there just to make up a fat book to impress us. It has its purpose behind it. And God has revealed it. He wants us to search it out and understand it in as far as we can and as he gives us that ability. So here the purpose to communicate to Israel. Very specific. Not to the church. To Israel. Secondly, in chapter 43, verse 7, it's to provide a dwelling place for the divine glory. Listen to him again. And he said to me, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the sole for my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. Children of Israel is a context again, forever. No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name, they nor their kings, by their idolatry or with the carcass of their kings on their high places. Third purpose is given to us in Ezekiel 43.10 to demonstrate God's holiness in contrast to the idolatrous and rebellious nation. Son of man, describe the temple to the house of Israel that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the pattern. How interesting. Very specific to context he speaks Israel. It has nothing to do with the church because the church is reigning with him, but it's Israel. The fourth purpose is found in Ezekiel 43, 11, to make sure they keep the entire revelation, to make sure they keep the entire revelation. Listen to them. And if they are ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them 
the design of the temple and its arrangement, its exits and its entrances, its entire design and all its ordinances, all its forms and all its laws, write it down in their sight so that they may keep the whole design and all its ordinances and perform them. What's the repeated phrase in Exodus as well in the book of Hebrews that God told Moses, make sure you make the tabernacle according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mount. Exactly. Now, that is the basic principle. When God speaks to us in the New Testament, he wants us to keep all of his word. We cannot be selective. We cannot impose our own culture. We cannot impose our own worldview. We cannot impose our own type of morality. We must take the word of God for what it is, what it says, and keep it all by the grace of God. Very, very important. Today the church is very compromising, very diluted, and very liberal. You and I need to have a good, healthy fear of God. <laughs> you understand? I enjoy my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a loving relationship. It's not one of fear. But I understand who he is. I understand what he's done. And I understand exactly who I am apart from Christ and who I am in Christ. It's very, very important. Fifth purpose, 4318. To perpetuate the memorial of sacrifice. Listen. And he said to me, son of man, thus saith the Lord God, these are the ordinances for the altar on the day when it is made, for sacrificing burnt offerings on it and for sprinkling blood on it. In other words, they are memorial. The offerings during the millennial kingdom are not to forgive sin, for the Lamb of God is there and he has forgiven all sin, but it's a memorial. You see this ring on my finger? It's a memorial to me. Every time I look down, I belong to someone. <laughs> not that I'm going to be married, that I am married. <laughs> it's a reminder. And so the sacrifices during the millennial kingdom. Verse 3 of 44 gives us the fourth purpose, to provide the center for the divine government. As for the prince, because he is the prince, he may sit on it and eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the vestibule and the gateway and go out the same way. The governor of God will be there in Jerusalem. Not in Washington, D.C., not in Moscow, not in Peking, not in Mexico City, but in Jerusalem. Fifth, in chapter 47, verse 12, to provide victory over the curse. It says there, along the banks of the rivers, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will, be, will not wither. Their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their waters flow from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be good for food and their leaves for medicinal purposes. And so these are the very clear purposes why God has a temple in the millennium. Now, he doesn't just give us revelation, but he gives us why he gave us the revelation. 
He gives us reason. Our faith is very reasonable, though it doesn't rest on reason alone. You understand? Because I cannot reasonably, logically think, God, how can God become man? And how can he die in my place? That's something that I accept by faith because he says he did. You understand? But our faith is very, very reasonable because he presents the evidence by the revelation. And then he acted upon that revelation. Pastor Xavier Reese paints an encouraging picture of the coming kingdom. And you can request a copy of today's meaningful message from the book of Revelation called The Worship in the Millennium. It's available to you for just $4 on CD. And make sure you pass this encouraging study along to someone in your church or Bible study. The title to ask for once again is The Worship in the Millennium. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you tell us the call letters of this station when you contact us. What is true worship? Find out when you tune into the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 